0: It's a big week on Keeping Score, big week all over the sports landscape. Why? Well, NFL training camps are starting. For those of us who believe the NFL never sleeps, well, we kind of slept walk through May and June, and now it's for real. Hall of Fame game, a couple weeks away, preseason start a couple weeks after that, and then the regular season starts. Amy Tenery, who is the digital editor at Reuters, can digest it and make it happen for us. Amy, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks, Rick. How are you?
0: I am wonderful. One good thing about the NFL is you continue to need to be deflected from your dismal, repugnant Mets. Thank you for talking NFL.
1: I will just say I was there in person last night and I watched them win a game, so it can still happen.
0: Congratulations, by the way. So (laughs) that plus the first 10... Means eleven games. You all are happy with, but uh, alas, <laughs> you played way more than eleven. It's a wait till next year. We'll talk baseball later on. But today, today's all about NFL. There were big some big business stories. I know you noticed what what's on top of mind.
1: Yeah, so there's a interesting statistic that came through uh, that the NFL generated actually record revenue last year, with uh, each team receiving uh, roughly two hundred and fifty six million uh, based on their their uh, current revenue sharing agreement. I was sort of interested when I saw the statistic because the narrative that I've been reading is that this league is facing a lot of backlash. It's facing uh, declining popularity. So how do I square this this figure, Rick, of of this sort of record revenue with the fact that? People don't seem to be as into the NFL as they used to be.
0: Well, we certainly know that nobody's puffing on the revenue side because what people do is they take the Green Bay Packers numbers because it is a public company, it has to report, and then they assume that the sharing piece is the same for 31 other clubs and they add the local revenue to it. And one of the reasons why that's the case is $8.5 billion from TV deals, road game revenue sharing and other factors, meaning a 45 to 5% year-over-year year increase. So we know that much of the revenue, despite the maligned NFL in the press circles, continues to go up. And as we said, $260 million or so split per team. Now, expenses are pretty high, but... Obviously, fourteen billion dollars is the total revenue number people are expecting. Roger Goodell challenged his staff to be up to twenty-five billion dollars by the start of the next labor agreement. Ambitious, to be sure, but the NFL clearly is headed in the right economic direction. What's your perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it just sounds like smart, smart management from from the clubhouse and from uh, the the corporate corporate house. Um, my my one, you know. If I'm in their shoes, my one concern is what kind of, uh, you know, bumps in the road am I facing ahead? I know one issue was in the past has been the controversy over uh, kneeling during the national anthem. Uh, Do you see that as as an issue down the road for them in terms of uh, the business revenue and also keeping people watching?
0: Here's the irony. Uh, Franchise values now on average worth about two and a half billion. That's a lot of money. The Carolina Panthers sold for nearly that, so it's been validated by the market. It's about an 8% increase, according to Forbes and otherwise. And here's the other issue about that. Bottom line is that the franchise value continues to go up. The economics continue to be strong. The uh, protests, clearly evident last year, grabbed a lot of headlines. But the NFL did create a committee. Malcolm Jenkins and other players said, let's figure out how to use up to $100 million and deal with the issues that we're protesting about, juvenile justice, bail reform, and on and on and on. So doesn't mean the protest shouldn't be continued. It does mean that the t- league has really listened. And it is, in, in essence, maybe unfortunate that there's a lot of the issue now over the policy of who kneels, who doesn't kneel. And we thought... In many ways, we're behind that. Maybe it takes a president tweeting about a $40 million commissioner to keep this elevated, but it's not going away as much as, in my mind, it probably should, given the fact that there's really been some action on top of it. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it certainly seems that way. And it, it, it really, as you, it, you mentioned, every time that Donald Trump tweets about this, the the news cycle continues all over again um i i think that you're absolutely right that when the nfl makes tangible moves toward addressing the issues that are um a part of the protest that that's part of the solution um you know i i, I certainly would like to see that the players be allowed to do whatever they want to during the national anthem but as as you mentioned it's i think it's going to continue to be an issue um for the NFL going forward, certainly so long as uh, President Trump continues his uh, social media tirades.
0: Well, and, and I guess it's it's important, and I'm not minimizing it, but the biggest issue now is how to continue to have support for the game and how to make sure the millennials and the kids continue to play. And so we went to the source at the NFL, the NFL's VP of youth and high school football. name is Roman Oben. He is quite a story. Grew up in the Cameroons. He moved to the U.S. at an early age, two-sport college athlete. He played college football at the University of Louisville, four-year letterman, three-year letterman, in track and field, and on and on. To make a long story short, he won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, spent many years in the NFL, and now he's an executive, not only with an international flavor and perspective, but he certainly has youth high school and other football kind of in his administrative hands. So we'll talk about his issues as we hear his interview, but glad to have had a chance to, to talk to Roman Oben. Here he is now. Quick feed, big guy though. So he played soccer and then and then what happened? Talk about that. Yeah, I grew up in a neighborhood we had a lot of tall guys
2: and, and you know I went to high school with guys that played at Georgetown and, yeah. and you know you don't realize the the talent pool, uh, you know, growing up in urban areas, when you, until you look back on it. But um, I probably uh, was a little too slow for basketball, too many fouls. You know, I played CYO ball and what every kid does. Right. And then uh, I didn't play organized football until 10th grade.
0: But uh, the rumor has it there was some deception involved in getting your mother to get permission <laughs> to play. What was the deal?
2: Yeah, so um, we, uh, summer before ninth grade, we went, we went on a vacation. Um, I was in Atlanta with my aunt, and then uh, we came back, like, the li- day before Labor Day and I couldn't actually sign up for football because it, my mom didn't know it's, it started like in August, yeah. the tryouts and all that stuff. So I had to wait until the next year and she actually didn't want me to play. So um, I remember as a kid watching an old episode of uh, General Hospital, like the Luke and Laura days. Uh, yeah. And
0: then you're gonna link back to the end of this. So General Hospital, what, so how, how did that relate to football? What, what happened?
2: So there was an episode where someone took a, a sign check, put a, a piece of paper over it and traced the signature and then practiced the signature and so I actually forged my mom's signature consent um, so that I can play f- organized football. Uh, and so she didn't know that I was playing football until I think someone called her to ask if she could volunteer. Will she be volunteering this year as a mom, you know, for the concession right. stand for the varsity games? Because it was JV. Right. And she's like, well, what concession stand? I said, what are you talking about? I said, well, your son's on the football team. He's like, no, he's not. And then, so we had to have a little discussion. She thought I was going to the library
0: and I was actually going to. Football practice. And at what time? What? At what point in your career did you decide to take the fork of an athlete versus a bank forger? (laughs) (laughs) Where where were you going there? All my,
2: all my, uh, all my signature forging stopped at that moment. So God bless you. No longer did I uh, engage in that activity,
0: which is also good for the Bucks and everybody else you played for, right? Louisville and all that. Exactly. So Louisville and Bucks and Super Bowl and your history is incredible. But the on-field, off-field dynamic, you're obviously. Uh, very well academically trained and you understand what it meant to be a successful business person as well. When did that all start?
2: Well I think just growing up and you know having a growing up with a single mom and and I learned that you had to have a deeper sense of responsibility to your community and and you know being a foreigner and immigrating from another country it was all about the work ethic so anyone who's coming from another country knows that it's about that work ethic and not dishonoring your parents your grandparents and, and those kind of things so I probably didn't grow up having to deal with a lot of the distractions that, you know, quote-unquote American kids had to deal with because I wasn't allowed to yeah. do most of the things that they were allowed to do. Yeah. So, um, and the script was never supposed to be written that I was going to play in the NFL because right. you, you don't know that when you're nine. Oh, clearly. I mean, you have a dream about playing yeah. for the Redskins. I grew up in D.C., but the reality is um, I knew that if I were to be put in that position, just even as a collegiate athlete, I'd take school seriously, try to get the best grades possibly, and then, and then you know getting drafted obviously it was going back to that having a deeper sense of responsibility doing charity work and and just using your platform to do good things and I I would say most
0: athletes do good things well we'll talk about the the specific good things uh, that you're doing with your foundation but at that fork it's clearly not just people who are born in other countries in a sense of, of what they need to do to overcome or not its professional athletes or athletes who feel empowered and entitled versus ones that are a little more balanced so advice for the kids that are out there who realize that uh, you know we could be we couldn't be what's the path to success as far as keeping the focus well it, it's hard to
2: and I think going back to the third world country work ethic thing it's that's obviously my story and I yeah. took ownership of that but I would say in in this year in 2018 2019 um, you still have to take ownership of your own narrative you still have to um, uh, work for things not expect them um, no matter what opportunities your parents provide you i think as a parent you have to be realistic with your kids about their expectations i think that's where you start to just build confidence in kids and and the things that you learn in football you know the whole getting knocked down and getting picked back up again like if you really believe that in life if you really practice that like you actually be a lot more successful than people who
0: weren't uh, a part of that right now type of sports. now you come full circle now you're pro uh super bowl champion College, all of that, and you're inside the NFL as the VP of Youth and High School Football. What was appealing to you to take this, and 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 kind of what are your responsibilities today?
2: Well, back in uh, you know 2010, 2011, I'd been out of the NFL for, for a couple of years. At that point, I was doing a lot of things in the community. I was coaching my kids. Uh, I was starting you know flag business and, and trying to uh, you know kind of forge my place in the marketplace and. And um, I was doing a lot of different things and then there became an opportunity for me to work at the league office, um, to come in as Director of player Health and Safety under a youth football vertical. And I felt like I selfishly wanted to say, how can I create a better environment for my kids when they get older? Um, Because they were playing football and they were in the middle of it, right? Then I had an eighth and a fifth grader at the time. And so um, I saw the discussion was was inherently negative about football. I knew the, the reality for me about what football did for me and what it still does for a lot of kids a lot of families uh, just growing confidence in a kid who couldn't speak English mm. you know I mean I had to I learned watching happy days and three's company and all those sitcoms that's the way you learned English well that was how I practice
0: but by, by the way you have come a long way since then even <laughs> right, just <so> you understand. <laughs> um,
2: but you know I think there's a narrative obviously about yeah. football participation now but I, I think that the reality is you know you have to make the choice uh, about what's best for you at your dinner table okay. not based on um, a New York Times article or any media article, any narrative, but like make the decision based on what's important for you. Uh,
0: but in 2011 you were faced with having to make sure your kids were growing up right, Yeah. but yet you also saw the numbers, Pop one or otherwise, the declining participation in youth football, but yet you went further. You tried to create programs to actually build it up, which got the NFL's attention. So what motivated you to actually sit there and do something about it? Well again, it, it was
2: I was, uh, again, my kids were younger at the time, and they, they played flag, and, and I felt like the the volunteer dads, so yeah. to speak, so to speak yeah. weren't exactly doing everything the right way. <laughs> and um, it wasn't just enough that I played in the NFL, because yeah. I was just a dad at that point. Right. And so if I didn't educate myself, equip myself, learn best practices, learn how people are, uh, how the game is being taught better, coached better, if if I couldn't be a better mouthpiece for the way football should be in the future for my kids, then... I wasn't doing a good job and so that escalated into me I ended up working for the league office but I, I think I'm here because obviously the credibility I bring to yeah. the table but also I'm still learning I'm still talking to parents I'm still helping make sure um, all 32 teams at the NFL are, are doing things in a way that is aligned with what they need what football needs and I think they're happy uh, with some of the results uh, we still have a long way to go but I, I, I think I'm happy thus far uh, the, the success we've had.
0: Well, the learning is difficult even if the situation was static, but yet we all understand over the last seven years since 2011, all of the discussions about the safety of football and some of the new scientific evidence and always said that the NFL has attempted to be one step ahead of the science, which is a great goal, but it's easier said than done. So is football safer today than it was before? What's your general take on that issue?
2: Uh, Football is safer today than it was when at a time that was a lot less regulated. Uh, there was no heads-up football 20 years okay. ago. Uh, there were no regulations. There were no heat acclimatization rules. Uh, none of those things existed, and and football wasn't under the scrutiny that it, that it is yeah. now back then. So, and then from a just a game development standpoint, you've got a lot of what's called space football. So a lot of spread, a lot of passing, mm. a lot of tackling in space. It wasn't. Um, you don't see a lot of just downhill power and ISO and um, that we grew up on, um, obviously, but. I think because the game is played differently, it's got to be coached differently, it's got to be taught differently. Um, Parents now are a lot more savvy with technology, Uh, you've got to use those things, right? right? Uh, Training manuals, uh, updates, and and all those things are are ways that parents now can engage uh, with the sport, and I think it's going to make the sport better, um, despite the discussion, um, because there's different reasons why the participation decline, not just a safety perception.
0: Clearly. Uh, but also, I think one of the things that's happening, and agree or not, that their perception has driven uh, USA football, uh, Pop Warner, all the organizations that, that really care about the kids into uh, things they were doing already, but they're doing them even better, the the the, 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 the temperature issues, the water issues in practice, as we said, the heads-up, the way to hit, all of mm-hmm. those issues. So, uh, And it's not just heads-up football. It looks like everybody who cares about the game is doing some of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you, you have to do those things because yeah. people demand more answers. They demand, uh, there's a lot of information 24-7 on your phone, on the internet, and, and all those things. So I just think it's important uh, to make sure that you're you're educating yourself properly as a parent, no matter what sport you enroll your kid in. Uh, but if you're going to play football, if you're not going to play, make sure you're you're doing that based off of your own research and not Opinions or or anything like that.
0: So for those of us who don't know the details of Heads Up Football, it's it's a combination of a lot of often on the field stuff. It's, it's 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 the tackling education, it's coaching education. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what the program entails broadly.
2: Uh, well, broadly, there's different pillars of Heads Up Football, right. and it was created a few years ago as really an answer um, to to parents that needed needed answers. Right. Um, so it's it's Heads Up Football is blocking, tackling. Uh, heat acclimatization, you know, sudden cardiac arrest, uh, uh, talking about uh, how to coach different positions, you know, resources, tools, practice guidelines. Uh, all of those things are, are, are part of Heads Up Football, and it's been adopted in every state um, nationally, and, and it's been taught um, to probably
0: 85 or so percent of youth leagues um, that USA Football has defined right. as a youth league. Right. So anybody connected with the industry, we've all seen it, have been asked by parents regularly should they let their kids play football? What's what's your answer? Well, um,
2: I made a decision to let my kids play football. Uh, I think I had a son. My older son didn't play until uh, seventh grade. My younger son played in fifth. Um, He just didn't like a lot of other sports. He wanted to play football, so I I, I trusted what was being taught, and I think you have to make that decision um, based on what's important to you at your dinner table. Uh, I know that there's a perception of parents are less likely to let their kids play, but if their kids want to play, they're more likely to allow them to play if they want to, and so I think it's really about making sure the parents have the right information, and it's not a uh, perception based off of articles or, yeah. or, or, or things that are going on with former NFL players. I mean, I, I don't think there's a correlation between uh, a 50-, 60-year-old former NFL player and a 5-year-old, because that 5-year-old is going to play a different game than the NFL player did and that five-year-old may not, may not may not play past high school. He may not play past Pop Warner. He might okay. play flag. And I think we have to adopt all those things as football. You still have the same number of kids that are engaging in the sport. You still have um, high school participation at over a million uh, okay. participants. That's relatively stable, which feeds NCAA. Colleges are still building, adding football teams. I mean, all those things are, are positive. But uh, I think there is a safety perception, there's a safety issue that – that I think we're working together with Pop Warner, with USA football, with yeah. all the NFL clubs uh, to make sure that parents are being educated properly.
0: Is one of the answers against the presumptive sensationalism just more information and more objective uh, awareness of what these programs really are? Yeah, and I think, you, again, you have to be
2: educated because there's a lot of information. There's also a lot of wrong information. Yeah. Uh, but I trust taking a two, three hour certification. Um, I, I trust having the information, having a practice guidelines, Uh, being in a heads-up certified league is is probably you're more likely um, to not have any issues than than not having that Um, and and I think and it's also up to the child like where's your child's comfort level boy or girl
0: about what type of football they want to play where do they want to start I think that's a parent's decision you look back on your youth football experience how did it help you in business in in life in becoming the person you are
2: I think that the structure that football gives you is, is unique um, and I think when your day is controlled from wake-up to bedtime in training camp, uh, but I think it gives you a focus. And, and then you go to college, and you're practicing in the morning, going to class, practice again, uh, study hall. I mean, you, you live a whole life like that. Yeah. And so when, when football's over, you want to still create some sort, of st- some sort of structure in your life. Um, you look on social media, you've got you know, motivational Mondays and all these things yeah. that you see. But when you grow up in a locker room, it's all character leadership quotes all over the building. It's all buying in. It's all being accountable to the team. And and that's why a lot of football players, a lot of student-athletes become great salesmen. They become great people in the financial sector, banking. You know, those result-oriented professions, I think you see a lot of athletes that gravitate towards that because it it creates that sort of accountability and that's either – Either you win or you lose at the end of the day, and there's no in between. I think that's something that athletes can all take with them, um, that they learn as kids through college, and then if you play in the NFL, you've literally lived in a, a whole life of, of learning things that way.
0: And I assume your sons get it too. I mean, the same kind of dynamic mm-hmm. and, and process and rigor and training.
2: Yeah, and I think you know, one thing I've learned, you know, when you have a different generation. If we grew up, yes or no, sir, and because I said so. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Now <laughs> well, like, it's, that, doesn't, that doesn't work It <laughs> doesn't always work. But um, for me as a parent, it's now we're doing this because, and this is why it's important. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a way you've got to, now, I don't negotiate with my kids, <laughs> uh, but I do explain why. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's fair. I mean, it's, it's a different era than it was 30 years ago.
0: Shift gears, but only slightly. So you and your wife, Linda, really committed to philanthropy. You started the Roman o- the Open Foundation 15 years ago. Talk yeah. a bit about it.
2: Uh, we started, you know, as a player, my first uh, five, six years in the league. You, you kind of go to everyone's, everyone's charity event, everyone's um, hospital visit, and, and you kind of do a lot of different things. And you lend your name to everything, and then at some point you say, this is what's more important to me. Um, I was born in Cameroon, like I said, mm-hmm. Cameroon, West Africa. My wife's family's from Haiti, and, you know, we thought it was important to – really help kids back home like us, um, and it's not whether or not they're going to be football players, because you've got girls, you've got everybody, um, but it's it's having, being educated, uh, having uh, the right amenities, you know, books and, you know, having computers. I mean, things that people take for granted here. Um, we felt it was important uh, to do that for kids uh, overseas.
0: Five years from now, what are you doing? What's your life look like five years from now? Man,
2: um, you know, I just you wanna keep serving and leading the game and, right. and, and doing things that make sense for you and, and, and hope just that you're making an impact. And if it's done in a corporate setting in and, and this type of environment that's great because people see your work and if it's not done in that, that's fine too. But but I think um, I think there's a lot of opportunity and we still have a lot of left a lot of work left to do to really kind of reshape the perception in this this youth sports uh, landscape, youth football.
0: Well, that's important, but there's one other add-on to all of this as we hear you think through some weighty issues of the day as a former player, Uh, a minority, which is also very important, but there's a legacy in this game, and there are people that are going through some turbulent times now, and the game need some thinkers who have access to the top officials at the league level, team level as well. Yeah. I assume you thought about a lot of that as well as yeah. far as the, the league and what it means.
2: No, I have. I mean, I, I think the, you know, the game is important to me, football is important to me, the, uh, the NFL and this building is important to me, and, and I think it's, it's important that we, we're constantly doing things that evolve the game and, and we're, we're ahead of the challenges and not reacting to them. Um, I know sometimes with 24-hour news cycles it's tough to do that. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, and then the way people receive information now, um, we went from reading a paper to uh, debating to now yeah. we debate about opinions about the, the story and we don't even know what the story is. Okay, people t- don't read the paper anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. You read really snippets on so yeah, your yeah, highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. but but again, as long as you're, you're you're serving in a meaningful way and in a way that's important to you, and I think I think the NFL needs that. I think society needs that that level of accountability as well.
0: So you're watching the games and you're watching the lines because I guess that's what you focus on too. Are 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 people playing the game, the way they should broadly defined? That's it's a really hard question. But do you, when you watch it, are you Is kind of excited? The, the game's in good hands and moving in the right direction. Uh,
2: from a football standpoint. Yeah,
0: yeah I think in, and I've spoken
2: to some of my old basketball guys about this, where you say the games become more athletic, but you had more football players like 20 years ago, yeah. right? You had, you know, the guys that would play hurt and all that stuff. And I think that's not. I mean, that's an anecdote, but I think uh, I think it's it's. My generation dealt with different issues. This generation is dealing with different issues. For just from a quality of game, I mean, people, uh, players now want more expression. You know, you should applaud that. And and as long as they're using their platform for good, uh, that's always a good thing. But just from an X's and O standpoint, uh, you know, all the scoring and all the all the the passing yards and. You, know, you feel bad for some of the old quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, I remember Joe Theismann, I don't know how, if he threw the ball 15 times a game when I was watching it as a kid, watching right. the old Redskins, but now I mean, probably I think Drew Brees is going to probably second or third all-time by the time he retires if he keeps throwing that ball.
0: Wait till my buddy Larry Little talks to you about Bob Greasy throwing sp- seven passes when he wins the Super Bowl. It's like, I'm standing here, but I'm good, and that's how he never got hit. Look at him. So, so the game is in really, really good hands with people like you stewarding it. Robin Oman, thank you. So Roman Oban moved at the age of four from the Cameroon to the United States, settled in Washington, but he's so much more than an international uh, uh, ambassador of the game. Uh, What struck you as most important about the interview, Amy?
1: You know, one point that he made uh, that I thought was interesting was he was discussing um, some of these older retired players who are in their 50s and 60s who are facing chronic uh, physical ailments that can more or less be traced back to their time in the league. And the point that he made was that these kids shouldn't shouldn't look to them and have anxiety about playing because he says the game is entirely different that they have heads up football now that they have all these other precautions that didn't exist back then i have to admit i was a little skeptical and i'm curious to get your perspective do you think the game has actually changed that much and if it has has it changed enough
0: well players are bigger stronger faster hitting harder that's clear Mm -hmm. Safety mechanisms has certainly progressed. That's also clear. The science has progressed. The NFL, in my real estimation, has tried to stay one step ahead of the the science. And as to whether Roman Oban has a perspective that we should understand, his sons Andre and RJ are talented. RJ already has Division I offers. He was a strong proponent of youth football, Pop Warner football, and will continue to put him in the game. And I can't think of any stronger endorsement than saying, you know, my kids are going to play. Uh, youth football, notwithstanding what I'm hearing. He's active in community outreach in Africa, obviously his wife involved in Haitian stuff. And so it's very important to understand that these are folks who have a lot invested and the NFL is not perfect. And I'm not an apologist for this. And every concussion scientific survey is met with some, here we go again, but the NFL certainly is taking this seriously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, clearly they're i mean the the fact that his role even exists shows that they're taking it seriously i think um because as we have seen despite these efforts youth participation has declined um in football Now that could be attributed to any number of things it could be attributed to interest in other sports it could be attributed to the fact that maybe um some parents maybe don't trust the sport to be as safe as they used to um In your mind, what are the next steps that the league needs to take in order to bring kids back into the sport and get them more excited about playing football?
0: Well, I know a clarion call for further action. I had been on the board of Pop Warner and involved in their business and understand how important those numbers are to them because that's their lifeblood. USA football as well. And it starts at home, the perception that football needs to be safe, also various types of football, flag football programs, global international football programs. There are a lot of other ways to get kids involved in football short of tackle football early, and it's all compatible. And the other piece of this is that the media has to be active, not talking about positive publicity. I'm now talking about media platforms, the the idea of internet vignettes, um, what the NFL means, uh, kids' education, both male and female. So. It starts not only with the safety issues, but it also starts with immersion of NFL at a young age because it's a competition. Roman Oban admitted that it's now the fact that youngsters have so many other choices now, and it's not just football, but it's also how you play and how you watch. And we have the same issues when we talk about youth tennis. We'll talk about it at the U.S. Open and basketball and others. How do you make sure that athletes continue to come to the game and strive and thrive, and I think that'll be one of the big issues as we move forward. For now, Amy, thanks for your opinion, and obviously Roman Oben, very important, very significant. Riccaro, keeping score. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer Alex Cohen, associate producer Freddie Joyner, assistance provided by Carlos Swadic, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital. Dan Colarusso. I'm Riccardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.